While you're turning over there, it's, it's been an exciting year to watch what God did in our church, and, and we've had some setbacks, but looking at the numbers, we've taken some good steps forward, and I, I say all the time that numbers aren't everything. We don't publish numbers anywhere other than our church. I want you to be able to see what's going on and, and to see uh, you know, the different things, but we don't, we don't publish it anywhere except for ourselves, and they don't count for much, but they do count for something, I think, and they can be an indication, and even more importantly, I think we took some great steps forward spiritually. We started some new ministries that are doing well, and, and our goal this year is to, is to strengthen those ministries, to add to them, to do, to do more with them. Um, and there are many of you that, that if you could look back and see yourself spiritually a year ago and see where you are today, you'll see that God led you forward. And the goal is to strengthen the strong things and build up the things that are weak in your life. Uh, we compare ourselves to ourselves and to Christ. That's it. We're not looking around at everybody else to compare ourselves to each other. We're comparing ourselves to Christ. Where are you in your relationship with Christ? Where are you in relationship to where you should be in your relationship with Christ? There's a few things that we haven't done as a church yet that, that we're making plans for this year. First of all, we're planning a missions trip, our first missions trip as a church. We'll, we'll do that next. It's going to be a, a year from now, but February of 25, we're going to take a missions trip to Belize, and uh, we'll give you some more details about that. We're also planning our first uh, destination trip for, for the youth. Uh, the teenagers. We're going we're gonna to go in uh, the summer of 25. So again, it's a little ways off, but the planning has to start now, uh, our side and yours. But uh, we're going to take the, the teens out to the Grand Canyon to hike the Grand Canyon. Uh, I did that when I was going into seventh grade uh, with our youth group. And uh, it was a great trip, great trip. We're going to combine that with a little bit of a missions uh, uh, trip to the Navajo Nation out there uh, in the west um, area. But give you more details about that. And then uh, one thing, another one that I'm excited about, of course, this kind of depends on what happens, but um, February of 26, two years from now, plan to take a trip to Israel. And uh, we'll, we'll include our church and a couple other churches that are, that are about the size of ours that, that we're good friends with, and, and we'll go over there, and, and uh, it'll change your life. It, it really will. And uh, just your whole perception of the Bible and I've been trying to, trying to convey that to you on Sunday nights, but um, th th those are things that we'll give you details about as we go forward. I'd love for as many of you to be involved in those opportunities as possible. Uh, we have a few things that we want to do ministry-wise as well. I I'd love to get a jail ministry going. We have a great opportunity in Henrico. Uh, I think some open doors and some opportunities there that we can get into the jails and, and uh, do some different things. Uh, to, to reach into those places, you know, especially with Henrico, it's a jail, it's not a prison. Most of these guys are not in there for murder for life. Uh, you know, they, they made a mistake, they got in there, they're going to be in there for five years, and they're going to get out, and they're going to go on with their life. And if we can reach them and help them to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and, and see their lives change, then when they get out, God can use them in a great way. And uh, so we want to be a part of that. We took some good steps this year, I think, with, with getting the orchestra going, but we want to to build that up some more. Um, we, we have some exciting things that we've planned for the Bible Saturdays, and I'll give you some more details about that over the next couple weeks. Uh, planning some more institute classes, not just for the men like we did last year, but for everybody to be able to be involved in and uh, to, to do some more learning uh, the Word of God. But we've got, some, we've got some more training to do of our workers, and it's, it's exciting. And so the way that we take those steps forward is by making much of Jesus. Uh, let him be the focus. Let him be the reason for why we do everything that we do. 
to grow in our love to Him so much that we're willing to do anything that He puts on our hearts to do, that we're willing to give up anything that He puts on our hearts to give up, that's the goal. I've, and I've got some exciting studies that, that I've been doing that I, that I want to share with you about Jesus this year. He needs to be the focus of everything that we do. That's what the whole point of, of looking unto Jesus is all about. We get so busy so often in, in working the ministries and so busy doing things for Christ that we forget sometimes who the king is. We get so busy working for the king that we forget to have a relationship with him. And we start looking at everything else that's going on and even good things and taking our focus off of the main thing and the main one, which is Jesus Christ. Hebrews is a book whose main focus is Christ. And I'm planning to do a Bible study through Hebrews this year as the Lord leads and, and, and as he allows. But I love the book of Hebrews. And I want you to remember this. The chapter divisions in the Bible are not inspired. It wasn't until 1555 that we actually had chapters and verses in the Bible. Uh, they're helpful, but they're not inspired. And I think sometimes those divisions can cause us to miss some things in the preceding verses because we just pick up at the beginning of a chapter. And that's a possibility here. The author of Hebrews, likely Paul, just spent all of chapter 11 on the heroics of those who had great faith and who had expressed great faith. And that's what leads us into chapter 12. And he says in verse number one there, wherefore, why? Because of all of those things that, we, that I just told you about, all of those who went forward in faith. And the Bible says, uh, verse 32 of Hebrews chapter 11, what shall I say more? For time would fail me to tell, and he lists a bunch more. All of these, the Bible says in verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy, verse 39, and these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. And he goes right into chapter 12. There's no division there. He's talking, he's continuing the thought. And he says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who? All of those that he just talked about. And not only those, but all the ones that he didn't have time to list. All of those who came along after the Bible was written. All of those that we know who have been great heroes of the faith. We're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And here's our theme. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to share with you three areas this morning as, a, as, as we focus on our theme for this year, looking unto Jesus. Let's pray, and then we'll look at a few of these things this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for an opportunity, a new year, another opportunity and a chance to serve you, another opportunity and a chance to, to, to live lives that are worthy of the calling wherewith we are called. God, I pray that you'd use the message this morning in our hearts to challenge us for this year, to keep our focus where it belongs, and to allow that focus on Jesus Christ to drive us into action for you. Again, we thank you so much for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to see, first of all, is that we should be looking unto Jesus in the past. He says there in chapter 12 and verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. In order to be able to follow Jesus in your life now, you have to know what he did for you in the past. 
Right? What a beautiful language the Bible gives us here. The Bible reminds us that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. It reminds us that he endured the cross and he despised the shame. Instead of being in the form of God, he appeared in the form of a servant. Instead of, instead of the glory that he had from his father when he was up in heaven, he suffered shame and disgrace. Instead of living a joyful and a comfortable life on earth, he suffered the, the accursed death. The, the condemned criminal's death, that's what he did for us. Instead of, instead of a temporal joy and glory that the Jews were proposing to him, he endured the shame and the pain of the cross. What was all of that for? It was for the joy that was set before him. It was the joy, you and me. It was the joy of knowing that he was going to bring many sons to glory. It was the joy of being the mediator between God and man as the man Christ Jesus. It was the joy of knowing that one day I was going to come along and that I was going to be a sinner and that I was going to need a Savior. And he knew that he was doing what was going to be enough to cover my sins under the blood of Jesus Christ. He knew his death on the cross was going to pay for the sins of all mankind, past, present, and future. And he said, this pain is hard. I'd like it to pass from me. But Father, if, if, if I can't let this cup pass from me, I'll endure the cross. I'll despise the shame because I know why I'm here. And he bowed his head and with his, with his last breath, he said, it is finished. And he became not only the author, but the finisher of our faith. He spent three days resting in a tomb. And on the third day, he came up out of that cold, damp place victorious over sin and victorious over death and victorious over hell. And after a few short weeks, he ascended back to heaven and sat down in his rightful place at the right hand of the throne of God. And since that day, he's been interceding to God for us. All of those who die in Christ Jesus get led to the throne of God by the hand. And it's as if Jesus is saying, Father, here's another one that I'm, that I'm redeeming back to you. Here's another one that I've covered under my blood. Here's another one that doesn't have to spend an eternity in hell. Here's one more, Father. He placed his faith and trust in me, and we've entered into a blood covenant. This one belongs to us. And oh, Jesus is watching his saints over the battlements of heaven. Keep your finger there in Hebrews chapter 12 and turn to Acts chapter 7. Remember Stephen? Acts chapter 7, as he was being stoned for preaching Christ, how it must have broken the heart of Jesus Christ to watch him suffer. He knew what it felt like to suffer. He knew what it was like to go through what Stephen was going through. But Jesus couldn't help but be proud of the son who had received him. And as Stephen drew his last breath on this earth, the Bible says in Acts chapter 7 and verse 55, but he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. He stood for his child, and, and think, I think it was partially because he was proud of him and partially because he wanted to be there to usher him home. What a Savior, what a God. The songwriter said this, in the courtroom sits God Almighty as a judge upon his throne. Holiness is all around him as he judges sin and wrong. Satan is the old accuser as he stands before the king with his list of accusations, all my sins he tries to bring. As he points accusing fingers to where I stand before the throne, then a voice behind me whispers, child, I'm here, you're not alone. He goes on to say, that's my savior, my interceder, and he's standing in my place. As he stands before the father, he speaks one word, and it is grace. 
He said, that's my child. He is forgiven. See my hands, my side, and feet. With my blood I bought his pardon. That's my child, and he is free. There is now no condemnation unto them that are redeemed. With my blood I bought his pardon. That's my child, and he is free. My simple question to you this morning is this. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? He did it all for you. That's the Jesus Christ of the past that you must look to if you're going to make any progress forward for him this year. You cannot put your eyes on Jesus Christ if you've never put your faith and your trust in him for your salvation. Jesus Christ can never be your guide. He can never be your shelter. He can never bring you comfort. He can never answer your prayer until you know him as your Savior. You must look to Jesus in the past, but also back in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. That's Jesus Christ and what he did for us in the past. But it says, and is, that's present tense, set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You must look unto Jesus in the present. That's who Jesus is today. He's at the right hand of God the Father, and he wants to see us live for him. In fact, this verse is the second half of the thought that was continued in verse number one. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, he gives us this, this charge. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And essentially, continuing that thought, he says, let us look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If we're truly going to look to Jesus this year, then it demands that we lay aside every weight and every sin. And I think there's an important distinction here. We know what sin is, and though many play with it or try to ignore it, we know that we struggle uh, with sin, and, and for, for all of us, I, I wouldn't even say most of us, for all of us, we know what that sin is. We know what the sin is that, that besets us, and often we, 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 don't, we like it. That's why we don't want anybody to mess with that sin. Stay away from it. Don't talk about it. I like it too much. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And that's an exciting part, but he continues in that verse. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You claim to be a Christian, then you should not be a sinner. Now, we're flawed human beings. We're going to sin from time to time. But that not, should not be what defines you as a Christian. If you name the name of Christ, then you ought to be willing and, and, and trying to depart from iniquity. What a shame to live a life claiming to be a Christian, claiming to know him, knowing just exactly what it was that he did for you on the cross, knowing exactly why it was that he hung there, knowing exactly what he did when he hung on that cross, and choosing to live in sin anyway. What a slap in the face to a holy God. Well, I, I, I'm just human. I'm going to sin. I'm going to make mistakes, so it's okay. No, it's not okay. Yes, you're human, and yes, you're going to make mistakes, but it's not okay. And when you look at it with that mindset, then you're going to live a defeated Christian life. You're going to live in sin for all of your life as a Christian, and you'll never have the victory. It's not okay to live in sin. You need to determine that with the Lord's help, and if need be, then with mine as your pastor, that you're going to get through those things this year and see victory in your life over those sins. Get sin out of your life and begin looking to Jesus. But here it makes a distinction between a sin and a weight. And we often put those two together. You know, we, 
Use the example of a runner in a race. That's exactly what he's doing. Lay aside every weight and the sin. Get rid of all those things out of your life. There's a difference here, or he wouldn't have said lay aside every weight and the sin. It's two different things. And I suppose, uh, 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 I, I don't believe that a weight is a sin. I suppose it could be if it keeps you from being what you could be for Christ, but I believe a weight is something, even a good thing, that holds you back from the best thing. The good is the enemy of the best. If God has something for you to do in your life and you're being held back from that, even doing a good thing, then that's a weight that you need to get rid of. There are lots of things that I could list that, 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 that would not be a sin for you to do, but are holding you back from living the Christian life to the best of your ability. Examine your life. Find out what those weights are. Find out what those things that might even be good things that are keeping you from the best things. There are a lot of opportunities to jump in and serve. If you've been on the fence about, about joining the church, I, you need to take the step to jump in. Get in with both feet. Can you sing? You ought to be in the choir. You can play an instrument. You ought to be in the orchestra. It's opportunities to serve. Can you wor work with kids? You ought to get in a Sunday school class or get on the bus route. Maybe you can work with your hands. Join a cleaning crew. It's a, it's a tremendous testimony when people come in, and, I, and we're not doing it for that at all, but people come in and they see uh, uh, church families working to clean the auditorium. It saves us a little, bit money, a little bit of money, but that's not the point. The point is, it gives you something to do. This is your church. This is the building that God gave us as a place where we house this church. We ought to keep it neat. We ought to respect it. We ought to look for opportunities to, to, to do things to help it be what God wants it to be. We're going to try to get a mowing crew this year. Get on that mowing crew. We've got a shed that we can put a mower in now. Jump in and be a part of that. Do repairs around the church. Maybe you, maybe you can't move very much physically, and that's understandable. As you get older, it gets harder to do some of those things. But man, we have a card ministry that you can jump in and get involved with, with sending them out to the missionaries and sending them out to those that are in the hospital. We need those people to serve in the ministries that God has allowed us to have. Our job on this earth is not to live as comfortably as we possibly can until we die and go to heaven. Our job is to do to the best of our ability what we've been called to do as Christians, and that's to win souls and live lives that are holy before God. And if you're not ab absolutely striving to do both of those things in your life, then you're not living the life of a Christian the way a Christian ought to live. You're not living worthy of the calling wherewith you are called. Are you living a holy life before God? Are you doing everything you can to get the message of the gospel out? If we would focus on those two things, everything else would fall into place. If you would work on being holy, I just want to be as right with God as I can possibly be. All of those things would fall into place. I just want to get the gospel out to as many people as I can. All those things would fall in place. And you'd be the Christian that God wants you to be. But all of that comes by focusing on Jesus Christ. You get a new vision of who he is. You see him for the absolute holy God that he is. You'll see yourself the way that Job saw himself. Just a worm. Even our righteousnesses, the Bible said, are as filthy rags. We like to lift ourselves up and talk about how much we're doing for Christ or how much we did for Christ in the past is, is more likely what we like to do. I used to 
We like to lift up those righteousnesses. He said those righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Why is that? Because we can, when we compare it to the purity of Jesus Christ, our righteousnesses seem like nothing compared to who he is. It all comes down to a desire to live for Christ. Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? If you're not hungry for the things of God, then you're probably full of yourself. Luke chapter 14, verse 26 says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's strong language, and that's a sacrifice. That involves giving some things up. But if the thought of giving up something to walk closer to God disturbs you, then that's an indication that you value yourself more than you value your relationship with Jesus Christ. And you will never be able to accomplish in your life what God wants you to accomplish this year for Jesus Christ. If you're so wrapped up in yourself that you cannot be willing to give up things for the cause of Jesus Christ, then you're not going to accomplish much for Christ. The focus needs to go back where it belongs, on Jesus Christ. You see him, you'll see yourself. You see him, you'll despise yourself. You see him, you'll be willing to lay aside anything that you have to lay aside so that you can be more like him. Hebrews chapter 12 and says, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You can't run this race with patience if you're not moving your feet. If you're not taking steps forward in your Christian life, then you're not running this race with patience and that means your eyes are not on Jesus Christ the way they should be. Some of you have allowed God to work in your life but when he really starts getting down to the things that you hold dear to you, the things that you think that you cannot give up, those things, you've held up your hands and told them to stop. You've told God you're happy to give up those things, a few of those things, but you're done giving ground to him. Give him up. Give it up. Let him have it. He's so much better at using it than you are. You wonder why you're miserable why well, always end up fighting? Why, why things just don't seem to go well? You're kicking against the pricks the same way that Paul did on the road to Damascus. Jesus, he said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He's prodding us. He's poking us forward. It's a cattle prod. That's what he's talking about. I'm pricking you forward, trying to move you forward for Christ, and you're kicking against it. It's futile. It's a waste. But he said it's hard. It's a hard life kicking against the pricks. Man, you think about a, a, a cow that, that, that's trying to be driven into a pasture, right? A little poke might be what he needs. And man, learn quickly that one poke and you go where you're supposed to go. And you don't, you, you, you don't have all the pain from it. But if you're the cow that gets poked and you kick, and you get poked again and you kick, you're going you're gonna to have a long, hard, miserable life. As a cow, right? And the same thing is true as a Christian. He pokes us and prods us and says, I'm just trying to get you to where you need to go. I want you to be in the pasture where you can be well fed. I want you to live a life that is pleasing to me. We kick against it. And he pokes us and prods us again and you kick against it. You're setting yourself up for a long, hard, miserable life because you'll never be happy until you give in to Jesus Christ. 
time to be holy. It's time to let go of sin. It's time to set aside the weights. It's time to take steps forward in this race again. Drop the weights. Quit arguing with God. Put your eyes on Jesus Christ and let's take some steps forward together this year. He'll meet you where you are and he'll lead you on as a gentle shepherd. When we were growing up, my dad would often test our dog's obedience. He'd put a piece of meat on the floor in front of that dog and he would say no. And then he would just kind of step back and see what that dog would do. That dog would be slobbering and dripping from the... We always had boxers most of the time. And you know how them big droopy lips, they slobbered like crazy. Big bubbles of slobber, big long drool slobber, smelling that meat. But you know what he would do? He didn't look down at the meat waiting for my dad to say, go ahead and grab it. He'd look at my dad. I think he was partially afraid that if he looked down, the temptation was going to be so strong that he would go after it. But he would sit there and look at my dad until my dad would finally say, okay. He would go after that meat. You know, and I think the same is true with us. When we're looking at the master's face and we're really seeing Jesus for who he is, all the rest of those temptations, even though they might be alluring and even though we might be able to smell them and even though we might be able to see them out of the corner of our eye, they go away when your eyes are on the master's face. You must look to Jesus in the past. You must look unto Jesus in the present. And lastly, I want you to see this. You must look unto Jesus in the future. I don't guess that you would have expected me to say anything else. But turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. There are five crowns that we can earn in this life. One of them is the incorruptible crown. It's called the victor's crown. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 19. It's for those who live a life of Christian discipline. The Bible says they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, we an incorruptible. It's for those who, as we talked about, lay aside the weight and lay aside the sin and look to Jesus. Crown of life, it's mentioned in James chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 2. It's a crown for people who have patiently endured trials testing and persecution is for the people who, 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 who confront that persecution for the cause of Jesus Christ, even to the point of giving their life. The third one is the crown of glory. That's mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 5. It's a crown for those who are faithful shepherds of God's people, those who have accepted the leadership, the call of leadership. The crown of rejoicing, we call it often the soul winner's crown. That's mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's for those who lead other people to Christ. But this fifth one, is the one I want to focus on because that one can only be won essentially on our last day on earth. It's a crown of rejoicing. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of, I'm sorry, crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Jesus Christ is coming back. Are you looking for his appearing? Oh, we say, I want Jesus Christ to come back, but I just need to do this first. I would love to see. I had the same mindset when I was growing up in high school. I want Jesus Christ to come back, but I'd love to see what it's like to graduate high school and go to college. I want him to come, but I'd just like to experience that first. And then I got to college, and I said, boy, college is great. I'm looking for the coming of Jesus Christ, but I'd like to see what it's like to get married and to have kids. And I got married and had kids, and I said, boy, this is great. I'd like to see what it's like to do this and this and this and this. Eventually, what happens is you spend your entire life saying you want Jesus Christ to come, but not really looking for the coming of Christ. 
That's why I say it's one of those crowns that really can only be won on the last day of your life on earth because if Jesus Christ comes and you're not ready for his coming or you're not looking for his coming, then I don't know if we'll earn that crown. Looking for his coming doesn't mean just standing outside looking up at the clouds. Looking for his coming and, and, and truly waiting for his coming uh, only happens when you're living for him. Maybe it was the same way for you, but it always seemed like my parents caught us when we were doing something, or they came around the corner when we were doing something we shouldn't have been doing, right? When we're, they give you a list of chores, have these done by the time I get home. We should be home around 6 o'clock, and by 5.15, when you're just about ready to start doing those things, they pull up in the driveway, and they catch you. Now you're rushing around trying to get everything done. Oh, they're coming, and we didn't finish, Right? It always happened when you were doing stuff you weren't supposed to do. We, we, we heated our house with wood. We split wood constantly. And, boy, we worked like slaves all the time. Until my dad came around the corner, that was the time we'd be playing. And we'd get in trouble for playing. It was like, we did all this work, but we weren't ready for him to walk around that corner. See, that same is true of the coming of Jesus Christ. If you truly believe that he could come at any instant, and if you truly want him to, then beyond just giving it lip service, which most Christians do, then you'll be living in a way that pleases him. You won't be doing things, any of the things, that would cause him to be disappointed. I read a story about a man that was visiting a school, and he said, I'm going to give out a prize to the student whose desk is in the best order when I come back. And some of them said, well, when are you coming back? And he said, well, I can't tell you that. And so this little girl who had been very messy for most of her time in school said, I'm going to be the one that wins that award. And all the kids started laughing. You, of all people, your desk is always the one that's the, the messiest. How are you going to win the award? And she said, well, I'm going to clean it on the first day of every week. And they said, well, what if he comes at the end of the week? She said, well, then I'll clean it every morning. And they said, well, what if he comes at the end of the day? She said, you know what? I think I'm just going to keep my desk clean. And that's exactly the way that we ought to be as Christians. Hey, uh, beginning of the year, I'm going to get my life right. Time of communion, I'm going to get my life right. Or what if Christ comes back at the end of the year? Well, then, uh, then maybe, I'll, maybe I'll do something at the beginning of every month. Or what if Christ comes at the end of the month? Well, maybe the beginning of every week. What if he comes at the end of the week? You know what? I think I'll just keep my life right. I think I'll just live for God. Because he could come back at any moment. And I don't want him to come back and find me doing something that I ought not to be doing. I don't want him to come back and find me with sin in my life that I have unconfessed. I don't want him to come back and find me not busy for the Lord when I should be. Are you looking for his coming? Many years ago, a young artist wanted to copy a large, beautiful portrait that hung in a palace in Rome. But they don't let you just walk in there and sit down in the palace and set up a chair and an easel. He tried to do that, and they made him move and told him he had to pack everything up and, and, and take it out of there. And so he decided that he was going to do something different. He decided that he was going to go to that palace in front of that portrait every day, that picture every day, and just memorize it. And so he would go, and he would stare at that picture and look at every little detail until he could close his eyes and picture that canvas in his mind. And then he would rush home, and he would paint those details into it. He'd come back the next day and do the exact same thing. And finally, he got that painting all finished up, the miniature copy of that large, beautiful portrait that hung in the palace. 
And people saw that painting that he made, and they said, wow, that is a beautiful painting. Now I want to go see the original in the palace. Christian, wouldn't you like to be that artist, to be like that artist? See, by God's grace, you can be this year. You ought to know the face of Christ so much that people recognize it in you. You ought to look so much like him that people say, wow, I need to know the real thing. You can give to others a miniature view of the loveliest person in the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. But to do that, you have to look to Jesus Christ in the past. You have to recognize what he did for you on the cross. You have to come to the decision that you accept Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. You'll never know Jesus until you know him as your Savior. But you have to look to Jesus in the present. You ought to let your view of him cause you to set aside every weight, lay aside every sin, spend much time with him every day reading his word, listening to what he has to say to you, uh, listening for his voice. You'll become more like him as the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you, and others will come to Christ because they'll see Christ in you and they'll want what you have. And you have to look to Jesus in the future. Are you ready for his coming? What if he came today? What if he came right now? Truth is, he might. But what if he came right now? Are you ready? Is your eternity settled? If it is, that's great. But how is he going to find you? You got a life full of sin? You have things that you know you have in your life that are unconfessed before God? You have things that you know you ought to get out? If you do, you're not ready for the coming of Jesus Christ, and you're not looking for his appearing. And that crown will never be placed on your head for you to take off and lay at his feet. Can you imagine a pile of crowns that's going to be at the throne? How many are you going to be able to add to it? Not for us to walk around heaven with piles of crowns on our head talking about how good we are. For us to take and lay at his feet. I want to earn all the crowns that I can earn so that I can give back to him just a tiny bit of what he's done for me. I want to be ready for his coming. I want my life to be clean. I want him to find me busy until my last day on this earth. I hope you're ready. Let's make this year a great year in our own lives, great year in our families, great year in our church as we look unto Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. And thank you as we pray often for an opportunity to be here, to have your word. God, what a privilege it is to be able to hold your word in our hands, to be able to read it. Pray that you'd help us to do it. Pray that our relationship with you would be what you want it to be with us. And God, where things need to be given up, give us the courage and the boldness and the strength to give those things up for the cause of Christ. Where things need to be strengthened, I pray that you'd help us to strengthen those things for the cause of Christ. God, may we do it all so that we might bring more honor and glory to you, so that we might point people to the cross of Jesus Christ, so that we might be a reflection of him in our lives.
And God, I pray that you'd start it this morning with decisions that we'll make to just live for you. Thank you again for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the message. I don't know how God used it in your heart. It's not my words. It's the Holy Spirit that takes those words and uses them. But if God's done that this morning, then won't you come down and ask him to help you with those things? That's the purpose of the altar. Hmm, the altar doesn't record anything. But oh, if it could. What would it say? As the piano plays this morning, the invitation's open, you come.